the very first part of that verse. Proverbs 29. Verse number 18. Listen to this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Thank you that you hear our cry and you answer our cry. I'm thankful that you are able to do all things. I'm thankful that you have not changed. I'm thankful that you still save souls. You still comfort hearts. You still heal those who need healing physically and spiritually. I'm thankful this morning that you've promised to be with us. And I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, for your manifest presence in this place. I'm thankful that I know today you have met with us. And I'm asking, Lord Jesus, right now that you would speak to us clearly from your truth exactly what all of us stand in need of. In Christ's name we pray and for your sake. Amen. In the late 1960s, the Walt Disney Corporation was under the direction of their leader, founder, creator, Walt Disney, was buying up all of the land, well, not all the land, but a lot of it in central Florida. And all the people, they actually did this in secret to begin with. They didn't tell anybody. And they were sending people, um, a lot of times, under disguise to central Florida and buying up all of this land. And when the word finally got out what was going on, everybody in central Florida thought that Walt Disney uh, had lost his mind because the, the land that he was buying up by the thousands of acres was actually just some useless swamp land, or at least the people thought that it was useless swamp land. Matter of fact, the first time the, the Walt Disney Corporation sent a group to central Florida, they bought 27,000 acres, and they bought most of that land um, for less than $10 an acre. I mean, they thought this land was good for nothing. It was just swamp land, marsh land, that, that they thought like, felt like was, was never going to be of any use to anybody. Most of it wasn't even accessible by road. I mean, you just had to either go in with, um, by boat uh, or, or just trudge through the, uh, the swamp itself on foot. But Walt Disney bought all of this land, 27,000 acres. And everybody thought he was crazy and nobody could understand what he was doing. But I want you to know that Walt Disney had a vision. He had a vision to create a theme park where families could come together and spend not just quantity of time, but quality time. And I, I really do believe that if Walt Disney knew um, how Disney has, has turned out, the Disney Corporation has turned out today, he'd probably roll over in his grave. But, uh, but, but at that time, he had a vision for Disney World. And how do you know, a lot has changed since the 1960s. A whole lot has changed. And the land that Walt Disney purchased for less than $10 an acre is now worth a whole lot more. I mean, he, he did not allow people to hinder his vision. He didn't allow people to in any way um, discourage him from what, from what he knew he wanted to accomplish and, and to achieve. He saw where he was, but he also had clear direction of where he wanted to be. And he didn't allow where he was to hinder where he wanted to be. Can you say amen to that? Vision is a very powerful thing. The land that Walt Disney bought for less than, 
than $10 an acre now is worth a whole lot more. Now the, it's not just one park, but four major parks. Those of you who've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It has the Magic Kingdom, it has uh, Epcot, it has Hollywood Studios, and it has Animal Kingdom. Now, let, let me give you some prices on the real estate now where this, these theme parks sit. Magic Kingdom is now worth $507 million. Epcot is worth $553 million. Hollywood Studios is worth $540 million. And Animal Kingdom is worth $437 million. That's a far cry from less than $10 an acre. How does this happen? I'll tell you how. Vision. This man had a vision and did not allow where he was to keep him from being where he wanted to be. From doing what he knew he was supposed to do. The book of Proverbs says, speaking to the people of God, that if there is no vision, if there is no clear knowledge of where you are and where you want to go, then the people will perish. Now, there's a whole lot of different commentary on uh, Proverbs 29 and 18 and what it really means to perish. I can certainly say this with all certainty this morning. It, 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 it certainly means where there is no vision, the people suffer loss. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to suffer loss. How many of you know, I don't want to go backwards, I want to go forwards. How many of you understand, I don't want to live on the success of yesterday, but I want to experience God's blessing today. I don't want to, uh, listen to me now, um, stop growing, but keep growing. I don't, I don't want to be comfortable with where we are. I want to see God do even more. But to do that, we have to have a proper vision. We have to know where we are, and we have to know where we're going. So I've been praying about this. I've been thinking about this. I've been asking God, what is our vision? What do you have for Mount Zion Baptist Church? How can we continue to grow to be what you've called, me, called us to be? How can we continue to be a church that, see, that sees to the needs of its community, that preaches the gospel across the street and around the world? How can we keep being a people that's honoring and glorifying you? How can we keep being a people that lives you up in worship with our lips but also with our lives God how can we get to where you want us to be oh I got five things this morning that I believe God wants for us according to his truth his word all of them is going to start with E so that we can remember them first of all encounter I believe God wants us to encounter himself. <laughs> you say, Russell, what do you mean by encounter? Well, I've heard people say it like this. They say things like, well, I'll tell you what, I just need to get in church. And I would agree with you, church is not a bad place to be in. It's not a, a, a bad group to be a part of. I, I'm thankful that everybody wants to get in church. There's nothing wrong with quote-unquote getting in church. But I want more for you than just you getting in church. See, when we talk about getting in church, sometimes we, we, we think about it as though it's a place that we come to and an obligation that we fulfill once a week. But it really doesn't change how we live day to day. When we, sometimes when we think about just getting in church, 
It's us self-righteously in our own power and ability trying to accomplish God's will by doing His work. And folks, even though there's some good things that can even happen from that, I want you to know God's got more for us than just quote-unquote, getting in church. What God wants for me and what God wants for you and what we've got to have if we're really going to see our vision come to pass and really experience all God has for us, we must have an encounter with Him. I'm not talking about you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and cleaning yourself up and just trying to do better. I'm talking about God, the Holy Spirit, changes you on the inside so that it makes a difference on the outside. I'm talking about you encountering the living God of heaven. Amen? Let me say, let me, let me say this to you. We see evidence of this all throughout the New Testament. How many of you know the Apostle Paul encountered the living God? If you don't believe me, you go and read in Acts chapter number 9. I'm not going to flip over there with you. You can write this down in your notes. Look at it later. We don't have time to go through all of that. But I want you to know in Acts chapter number 9, the Bible's teaching that the Apostle Paul, who used to be Saul, was on his way to persecute Christians. He was on his way to imprison Christians and to do them harm. And on his way to a place called Damascus, on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that he encountered the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ, that there was a light that shone in the heavens, and when that light shone in the heavens, it blinded the apostle Paul, and he heard a voice speak to him that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus there was making it clear that when you persecute his people, you persecute him. We'll get more into that in just a minute. But from that moment, after Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, let me give you one word that happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. It's change. There was a change that took place. Paul went from being the foremost persecutor of the gospel to being the foremost preacher of the gospel. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. Listen to me. He went on three missionary journeys all over the world preaching the gospel and starting churches. The apostle Paul, in my estimation, has done more for the cause of Christ since then than, than the, uh, in, in his life uh, than anybody else ever has. I want you to understand God used this man in a mighty way, but all of it started with an encounter. All of it started with the moment when Paul met the living God. Now I'm asking you this morning, have you truly encountered the living God? I'm not asking you if you're getting in church. I'm not asking if you're just darkening the door of a, of a building. I'm not asking if you're just trying to fulfill an obligation weekly. I'm asking you, have you encountered the living God that's made a change on the inside that makes a change on the outside? Is there change? Peter encountered the living God. You'll see it in Luke chapter number 5. The Bible says that Peter, James, and John had been out fishing all night long and had caught nothing. And then when Jesus came there preaching on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, let me tell you what happens. Jesus said, let me get in your boat and press out a little bit from the land so that I can preach to this multitude of people. So that's what they did. Jesus stood in the boat and was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And after he finished up, the Bible says he looked at Peter and said, I want you to press on out into 
into the deep. And when you get out into the deep, let your nets down for a drought. I'm fishing. You've experienced a fish, a catch of fish you've never experienced before. And Peter said, I fished all night long, Lord. I've been fishing all my life. I know how to fish. And all night long I've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. At your word, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let down the net. And guess what happens? The Bible says that the catch of fish was so great that he had to call his partners, James and John, to come help him haul in that great catch of fish so much so that his nets even began to break. What a blessing. What a blessing. Now you fishermen know the only thing better than catching fish is just catching big fish. And that brother had caught a lot of them and they were big ones. He experienced the blessing of God because he trusted the word of God. Can you say amen? He experienced the blessing of God because he applied the word of God. Can you say amen? Oh, listen to me. If you want God's blessing in your home, apply the word of God to it. If you want God's blessing in your marriage, apply the word of God to it. If you want God's blessing at your workplace, apply the word of God to it. If you want God's blessing in your ministry, apply the word of God to it. But we must apply God's truth. We must act like God's telling my truth. And listen to me. Walk by faith. Nevertheless, it's your word. I'm going to let down the net. Now listen. The Bible then says, Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, you're right now a fisher of fish, but I'm going to make you a fisher of men. There was a change that took place. Second <laughs> Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. And behold, what? What's that verse talking about? Change. 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 When a man, woman, boy, or girl truly encounters the living God, there is change that takes place. You'll never be the same. I am thankful to say this morning that, folks, I am not where I need to be yet. I'm certainly not where I'm going to be by the grace of God. But I am thankful this morning that I am not where I used to be all because of the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that started at the moment when I encountered the living God. We need an encounter. An encounter that first of all leads to salvation. I'm not talking about going through a baptistry. I'm not talking about signing a card. I'm not talking about trying to do better. I'm talking about allowing God the Holy Spirit to change you on the inside. I'm talking about you coming to the place where you realize you are hopeless, helpless, listen to me, busted without Jesus. But then you trust in Him fully for the forgiveness of your sin and God the Holy Spirit does the work that only He can do. That's the type of change that I'm talking about. If you have not experienced that, let today be the day of salvation may you receive the gift of salvation by an encounter with the living God an encounter that leads to salvation that's number one but now listen if you have been saved we need a continual encounter with God that leads to sanctification you said brother what are you talking about sanctification sanctification just means to be cleaned up and set apart for the purpose of God now let me say something to you when you're talking about sanctification in the life of a believer it's twofold First of all, we experience positional sanctification. Everybody say positional. What does it mean that I have positionally been sanctified? Well, it really means this. We have changed positions. 
How many of you understand that when I was born into sin, I was born spiritually dead? I was born separated from God who is holy. And that sinful nature that I was born with, listen to me, it started showing up in my life. Not just that sinful attitude, but then it lead, led to sinful actions throughout my life. And listen to me, folks. That sinful nature is what caused me to need Jesus to begin with. I came here needing Christ. I was outside of Christ. I was in the dark according to the scripture. I was spiritually dead. But at the moment I truly encountered the living God, all of that changed. I went from being outside of Jesus to being in Jesus. Therefore, if any man be what? In Christ. I went from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. The Bible teaches I went from being in the darkness to being in the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that I went from being in spiritual deadness to being made alive, quickened together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. There was a position change. I went from being outside of Jesus to in Jesus. I went from being in the dark to being in the light. Listen to me. I went from spiritual deadness to eternal life. You must have missed it. I went from being in spiritual deadness until eternal life. I missed hell and I gained heaven. Now I can truly experience the abundant life I was created to live. Now I can know the joy of the Lord that's unspeakable and full of glory. Now I can know the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now I can know the purpose God has for me and fulfill it by His power. Oh, praise God for the change in position, positional sanctification. I went from being outside of Christ to in Christ. How is that possible? Because He forgave my sin. Amen. That sin that separated me from God the Father. Jesus paid the debt. I didn't know. Shed his blood so that I could be washed clean. And now all who by grace through faith trust in him can be, go from being outside of Christ to in Christ. Are you hearing me? Now listen to me. I have been positionally sanctified. But I'm practically being sanctified every day. Let me tell you why. Because I still walk in a dark world. And this dark world that I live in is a dirty world. <laughs> Amen? I still have that old sinful nature that Papa Adam gave me that I was born with. I'm trying my best to die to it daily, but sometimes that's tough. I know what God wants, but sometimes it feels like a tug of war within me on what I should be doing or not doing. And sometimes, sometimes, I fail God when I want to serve God. Amen. Now, I may be the only one, I don't know, but I feel like all of us deal with that sometimes. And the illustration is this. If you look in John chapter number 13, you'll find the story of when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. Brothers, if you will, please get for me ready. John 13, 10. And the story goes like this. Jesus, at the time of the Last Supper, he, 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 he takes off his robe 
the kingly robes, can you say? Any, any robe that Jesus wears is a kingly robe. And he takes off his kingly robe, lays it to the side, and picks up, the Bible says, a servant's towel so that he might wash the feet of his disciples. He sits down and starts washing feet. Listen to me now. Here you have the Savior becoming the servant. Here you have the Creator, listen, washing the feet he created. Now, anytime you start getting too big for your britches and think that, listen, you're too good to do something in the body of Christ, remember, the Creator washed the feet He created. Now, listen. Watch this. He comes to Peter, and Peter says, Oh, no, Lord, you ain't washing my feet. And Jesus says, Well, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. You can't fellowship with me. You can't fellowship with me. That's the, that's the word in the Greek that's used when he says have no part. You can't fellowship with me if I don't wash your feet. And Peter said, well, if that's the case, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Just wash me everywhere. You know what Jesus said in John 13, 10? Watch. John 13, 10. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not saved to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Jesus says, look. Peter, you're already clean. You've got cleaned up. You've come to supper. You're clean. Listen, you're clean everywhere but your feet. Now, why wouldn't he clean at his feet? Because he'd been walking in a dirty world. And Jesus said, I need to clean up the part that got dirty. Amen. Sometimes we miss out on the sweet fellowship that we can have every day with the Lord Jesus Christ simply because we're dirty and we can't fellowship with Him. Practical sanctification is daily cleaning your feet up because you've walked in a dirty world. Amen? Getting that? Practical sanctification. Oh, praise the Lord. The encounter with the living God brings positional sanctification and leads to practical sanctification day by day as God the Holy Spirit does His work in our life. He convicts us of our sin, lets us know, listen, these things are wrong and it needs to get made right. And, and listen to me now, you, you're, you're failing over here and God will start putting His finger on those areas in your life that, he, that you know needs change. It's amazing how He does that. I love it when He does it for me. And when He does that, then we should act accordingly. The Bible says we should confess our sins to Him. And if we confess them, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we can get cleaned up and experience that sweet fellowship again. If you got it, say, I got it. We need an encounter. An encounter with God. I want to ask you something. Do you know Jesus? Oh, listen. Stop playing games. It's a very dangerous game you play when you play with your eternity. If you've not had an encounter with the living God, may today be the day. Quit worrying about what everybody else is going to think or say or Brothers, they already thought I saved. They're going to think I was crazy. Who cares what they think? They didn't die for you. Who cares what anybody else thinks? You're the one that will stand before God one day. Have you encountered 
the living God? Do you know your sin's been forgiven? Do you know you've been born again into God's family? If you don't, you need that today. If you have been saved, this encounter with God is not just a one-time thing, but listen, he walks with me and talks with me a long life's weary way. He leads me into further sanctification so that I can be what he wants me to be. He's continually cleaning me up and setting me apart so that I might be used of him. Allow God to do that in your life. Encounter. Now, when we encounter God, it doesn't stop there. We talk about this a lot. We love God. We love people. We serve God. We serve people. We encounter God. We encounter people. How do we encounter people? Number two, we engage them. There are people all around you every day who need Jesus. Amen? Man, I was talking to a young man at my workplace just the other day. and, And because of some bad decisions and choices that he has made and some bad decisions and choices that others have made that have impacted him. His life has just been in shambles for a little while now. And he was just broken about what was going on in his life. And man, after I left that meeting, God just began to burden my heart for this young man because I knew exactly where he was. Let me tell you what he needs. He just needs the Lord. And I had to say, forgive me, Lord, for not seeing the need right in front of me. Lord, help me to see needs and by your power meet needs. Help me to have wisdom to know what to do and when to do it, what to say and when to say it. Help me to speak into people's lives and engage them for your honor and your glory. The Bible gives us a story in the book of Luke. And it says the kingdom of heaven is like a supper. And the man who had prepared the supper sends his servant out and invites all those in the highways and the byways to come in and be a part of the supper. Luke 14, 23. Now look what he says here. Jesus is making this parable or speaking this parable about the kingdom. And the Lord said to the servant, go out in the highways and the hedges and compel them. Everybody say compel them to come in that the house may be filled. Now listen to me. Engaging people around you is you compelling them to come be a part of what God has for them. Now I've heard some pastors who try to make it an either or thing. Either we go out and we compel others to come in or we go out and evangelize where they are. And they say, well, what's, what's the, what do we do? How, 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 do we, how is ministry supposed to be performed? Folks, it's not either or, it's both. There are times when God opens the door for me to share the gospel wherever I am and I'm able to speak truth into someone's life and praise God for that. But there are other times that, you know what, I do compel them. Hey, come be a part of what God's doing inside his body. Because how many of you know, I've already said it, coming to church does not save you, but church is a great place to get saved. Because guess what we're going to do? We're going to do just what we're doing this morning. We're going to preach the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to allow God to do His work. The the preaching of the Word of God coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit is still changing hearts and lives. If you believe that, say amen. That's our mission. That's our goal. And so if you're excited about what God has done, is doing, and is going to do at Mount Zion Baptist Church, why do you keep that a secret? Hey, listen, invite somebody to come. Engage them. Pray with them. Comfort them. Encourage them. Let them know, man, we got a place that'll love you. 
You know one thing that I am so thankful for? Ever since me and my wife and kids have been here, we've been treated like family. I mean that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for praying with us, for praying for us. I enjoy being a part of the family of God. I know there are people right here that pray for me and will pray with me, that will help me in any way that they can. I know there'll be people here that'll be with me no matter what. Praise God for that. Engage others and tell them, hey, we got a people that'll love you, help you, encourage you, lift you up when you're down, give you truth that changes lives. Amen? Encounter God, encounter people. We encounter people by engaging them. That leads me to my third point. We evangelize. Amen? Oh, listen to me, folks. I want everybody to know this Jesus I know. Because I know what he's done for me. I know what he still does for me. I feel sorry for people who don't know Jesus. I really do. I pity those who don't know Christ. One of the most dreaded diseases upon the face of the earth is, is cancer. Would you agree? Anybody who's ever been around someone who struggled with cancer, you know that to be true. It's terrible. To see someone waste away right before your eyes, it's a terrible thing. Let me ask you this. Let's just say I had the cure for cancer. Miraculously, some way I found out. Let's just say that sweet potatoes cure cancer. Sweet potatoes, I can go right now to the grocery store and buy. From time to time, I see them on road stands on the side of the road. Big old boxes of sweet potatoes. They're readily available everywhere. And I found out that sweet potatoes cure cancer. Now let me ask you this. How much would I have to hate someone to know they're struggling with cancer and I see them wasting away and I keep secret the fact that sweet potatoes are sable? How much would I have to hate that person? Let's apply that. How many of you know there is a disease that is much greater than cancer? Cancer kills you physically. Sin kills you spiritually. Cancer you will deal with, the effects of cancer you will deal with for a short time. The effects of sin you will deal with throughout all eternity. If you don't get your sin problem taken care of, the Bible says that you're going to die and go to a place called hell where you will be tormented in the flame forever. That's not Brother Israel, that's Bible. So what I'm trying to tell you is the disease we all had called that sin sickness is much greater than cancer could ever be. But guess what? We know the cure. I know the cure. And guess what? It's readily available, even more than sweet potatoes. The blood that has been shed for us. is still available. To all who will by grace through faith trust in Jesus. The blood that washes us clean. Takes care of our sin problem. What can wash away my sin? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. There's no other fault I know. Nothing but the precious, powerful blood of Jesus. We evangelize. I want to evangelize everybody I can as God gives me the opportunity. Why? Because I've got the cure. And if you know Christ, you've got it too. Let's give it to those in need. Encounter, engage, evangelize. Number four, edify. Edify. Romans 14, 19 says that we are to do everything we possibly can to edify one another. Let me give you a good, the, the, uh, what edify means. Edify just simply means to build up. Amen? <laughs> it means to build up. To help one another. To make you strong. Do you know why we come and preach the message on Sunday morning or teach the lesson in Sunday school or teach the lesson Wednesday night Bible study or do small group ministry or do vacation Bible school or do anything that we do. You know why we do that? So that we might build one another up. Let me tell you why. Because you, you sitting in those pews and chairs are the building of God. Now listen. I'm thankful for this new building, ain't y'all? It, it turned out great, didn't it? It got good. Praise God for what he's given us. For what he's done. May everything that happens today be for his honor and his glory, be pleasing to him. And may everything that happens from this day forward be pleasing to him. May it honor and glorify him. I'm thankful for what God has done right here. But you need to listen to me, though. Even though this is nice and I'm so very thankful, this is not the building. According to the book of Ephesians, you are the building. According to the book of 1 Corinthians, you are the building of God. You have been placed in His building for His purpose. And it is up to us as the people of God to make the building as strong as possible. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 9. Look what the scripture says right here. I love this. Write this one down, man. You'll need this one. 1 Corinthians 3 and 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are His husbandry. Ye are what? Who's the building? You are. Now God has allowed me the great privilege and honor to be your pastor. And it is my purpose to make this building as strong as possible. How are we going to do that? First of all, we make sure that it's founded on the chief cornerstone. The foundation that no other man can lay. The foundation of the truth of who Jesus is in his finished work. We make sure that how we build. Is we're not building on something or with something. That is not pleasing to the Lord. How are we going to do that? We stick with what he tells us is his standard of truth. I was watching a, a, uh, 
video just last week on Waco, the Branch Davidians out in uh, Waco, Texas. And I sat there and I thought, how can this happen? There was a time when this man got up in front of everybody and said, hey, now I'm Jesus incarnate. And I am your God and you're going to worship me. David Koresh says this to his followers. And then there come a time when he stood up and said, okay, now all of your wives belong to me. Guess what, folks? I would have packed my bags for sure when he said, I'm Jesus incarnate. You may tell you why I would say that. Because Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. The Jesus of the Bible. Amen. And he said, beware, because in the last days, many will come saying that, I am Jesus. He says that. He said it in Matthew 24. So I know this brother has lost his mind if he's saying he's Jesus. Why? Because what he's saying is not lining up with the word of God. Furthermore, I would have packed my bags and went me and Brandy would have been out of there when he said, your wife is now my wife. No, she's not. Honey, get your stuff. Let's go. I know this is not right. Certainly morally it's not right, but scripturally it's not right. And it's not right morally because it's not right scripturally. That's my wife. I am her husband. And God wants me to love her as Christ loved the church. I am hers and she is mine. And nobody else's. God has put, listen, a mandate in his word. One man, one woman before God for eternity. So I know when he says that, you're against the standard. What I'm trying to tell you is this. Listen to me very plainly. You may tell you how you spot the lie. You don't spot the lie by studying the lie. You spot the lie by studying the truth. When you know the truth, you'll always spot the lie. So what we do in every plan, every program, every message preached or lesson taught, let's make sure it lines up with what God's word teaches. We edify. We build up and make strong. And we do that by getting a hold of truth. By relinquishing our will to God's will. By taking the truth of the word of God and experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit for us to become what Jesus has saved us to be. If you believe it, say amen. Encounter, engage, evangelize, edify. Let me give you one more real quick. Encourage. Oh, brothers and sisters, it is so easy to get discouraged in the work of the Lord. So easy to get discouraged when you're going through the stuff that we all deal with in life. And we all deal with stuff. Can you say amen to that? 
I'm talking about physical stuff and emotional stuff and relational stuff and financial stuff and just stuff that you deal with every day. It's so easy to get discouraged and want to give up and quit. We need to be encouragers of the brethren. Lifting people up whenever we can. Barnabas, who was on the mission field with Paul, is called the son of encouragement. Barnabas, Barnabas is one of those guys you always like to see coming. You know, I've, got, I've been around people in the ministry that I love to see coming. Praise God for them people. Hey, they're encouragers, man. They, they're doing what they can to, to, to lift up the body of Christ. To help us be what God's called us to be. And then I've been around those who I'd rather see going. Those are the pessimists who never see nothing right with anything. Amen? Ain't nothing ever good enough. I don't care what it is. Heard one pastor say you could hang them with a golden rope and they'd still be unsatisfied. And he's right. You have those too. Always pessimistic and negative Nancy about everything. I'd rather see them go away. And you know, what I, you know what I've usually found out? Misery loves company. They'll usually band together in their little clique and make it rough on everybody. Usually what happens? Don't be that. Don't be a discourager. Be an encourager. You say, Rosal, are you trying to tell me that there's never anything wrong? Absolutely, there's some things wrong. From time to time, some things need to be when the boat needs to be rocked, let's rock it. But when, let me tell you when it needs to be rocked. When we're not doing what, therefore, what thus says the Lord. 